0: Thursday, July 26th, 2012. Yeah, you're going to need your Bible today. I'm going to be doing an extended biblical teaching, second half of this hour. Tuning in or listening to fighting for the faith, my name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the comparative work to see if what's being said really squares with what God has revealed in his word, using good hermeneutics. By the way, there's such a thing as bad hermeneutics. An example of bad hermeneutics would be, well, eisegesis. That's reading things into the biblical text that aren't there. You ain't supposed to do that. Worse, narcissistic eisegesis. Reading yourself into a biblical text (laughs) because you ain't there. Uh, that's one of the primary problems that we're addressing on a regular basis here at Fighting for the Faith because it just seems like the church is... um in full bloom as far as this particular virus is concerned, uh, narcissistic eisegesis has gone viral in the church, and, and that's not good. It's it's a virus that needs an anecdot- aned- not anecdote, but antidote. And uh, we try to provide the biblical antidote for such bad hermeneutics here on a regular basis at Fighting for the Faith. Now, if it sounds like I'm in a hurry, believe me when I tell you, it's not that I'm in a hurry, it's just that I, I'm looking at the list going... How are we going to get to this all today? So what we're going to do is we're going to just get right to it. I'm going to talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to dive into it. And uh, and so, you know, the best thing I could tell you is, uh, you know, take all the necessary precautions. If you're not familiar with our warning here at Fighting for the Faith, I think it's important that we do that today because of the nature of what we're going to be talking about. So let me play the warning. We'll talk about what we're going to talk about, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go So, just so you know, you've been warned, okay? All right, what we're going to do today, we're going to start off with a Rob Bell update. If you're not familiar with Rob Bell's latest thing, um, he had a live event that he just did, not last night, but the night before. And no, don't get me talking about robbers knocking on the door. But anyway, uh, it was at the Viper Room in Hollywood. That's the place where River Phoenix, uh, you know, uh, ended his life. But um, Rob Bell... (laughs) Did an event and he, well, um, it was a whole lot of nothing. So, what we're going to do is, I'm going to actually let his new publicist. I mean, I, I really kind of have a interpretation of what happened. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, we'll have his publicist introduce him. We'll listen to some Rob Bell, see if he can ha- make heads or tails of it. I have a Patricia King update that I also want to get to today about, uh, well, conquering or, you know, overcoming addictions, which is. You know The video kind of starts off innocently enough, but it takes a strange turn. Of course, consider the person delivering the uh, the message. But then what I'm going to do uh, after our first break is I'm going to dive into an extended teaching regarding the story of Gideon that's going to require me to go back into the book of Deuteronomy. You're thinking, well, what does the book of Deuteronomy have to do with the story of Gideon? B- Gideon. B- believe me when I tell you, it has a lot to do. With Gideon, because uh, there's there's a, a key element that's uh, discussed at the tail end of the book of Deuteronomy. That if you don't have this this little factoid tucked away in your mind, you miss an important ingredient in understanding the rhythm of the book of Judges. Yeah, I'll explain it uh, again, you know, after the uh, after the break, and then for our sermon review. By the way, this the all of that extended biblical teaching is in preparation for the sermon that we're going to be reviewing, a sermon about, supposedly, about the new movie The Amazing Spider-Man, and the name of it is called Conquering Self-Doubt, and it's delivered by Nate Anderson of the Winner's Circle Church in Cypress, Texas. And, hooey, <laughs> hooey. It's a, what I mean. What do you do with something like this, where somebody? It, by the way, I'll just kind of tip the hand a little bit here. Nate Anderson of the Winter Circle Church somehow finds that the story of Gideon is about conquering self doubt. Nothing could be further from the truth. The story of Gideon is not about conquering self doubt, but we'll get there. I, I'll, I'll teach the, ta- the the text first, then we'll get into the sermon review. So, make yourself comfortable. If you have the ability to sit down, please do so. Enjoy the program. Kick your feet up. Make yourself comfortable. If you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind, the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You don't want to be enslaved to a good gift that God has given you. Fuzzy bunny slippers enhance your listener experience. If you don't already have a pair of fuzzy bunny slippers, visit fightingforthefaith.com. Click on, uh, we have on the left hand side of our homepage, you'll see link you know, pictures of two different pair of fuzzy bunny slippers that, that we have t- had tested out to make sure that they comply with um, our standards for enhancing listener experiences. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. Rob Bell Update Music. You know, I just realized that uh, one of the things that Rob Bell has in common with the update music that I've selected for um, him is can't make heads or tails of anything of what's being said there. I have no idea what those lyrics are about. A champagne supernova in the sky. Well, it sounds like Rob Bell's Drop Like Stars. You know, who knows what it means. Anyway, so like I said the uh, the other day, not last night, but the night before, uh, Rob Bell gave a, a well, a public... He- you know what I watched it, and boy, do I wish I could have that hour and forty three minutes back that's just all i'm saying um i, I watched it on the replay, and who he said, a oh, whole lot of nothing. It was just um yeah, but the name of the event was still painting, and if you want to know what the, what really what was the occasion of all of this um, here's my theory okay now understand something that my theory. Is I, I'm doing some speculation because it's speculation. It's worth what you pay for it, which pretty much you know means that your guess is as good as mine. Here's my guess, and it's this: is that Harper One is now the official publisher of all books that are well written by Rob Bell, and well, since Rob Bell resigned from Mars Hill up in Grand Rapids and is now working. You know, on scripts and casting and all things regarding his upcoming TV program that's being produced by the, the guy who did Lost. Um Rob Bell has pretty much slipped off of everybody's radar. And so it's been a long, long time since well Rob Bell's done anything. And, you know, um so the 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 issue is is that uh without any public sightings of Rob Bell or him doing any the question is what's happening to his fan base and so the idea i think was to trot him out have him do something that was kind of like a sermon slash stand up comedy routine with kind of a weird zen punch to it and just let everybody know that he's still alive and and well what has they said still painting you know and so i think that's the idea plus now that harper one has taken over uh publishing of all books rob bell you know they've got the, uh, the 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 Basically, his love wins book is now coming out in paperback, and so you know they got to sell some things. And you know Rob Bell he's a busy author now, and so they needed some kind of event to kind of help sales a little bit and let the fans of Rob know, Rob Bell, know that he's still um, painting. Yeah, let's tune in. Here's uh, his the Harper one publicist publisher guy introducing him at the viper room which by the way did create some weird photo ops you can have you have i actually took some screenshots of rob bell with the viper room logo behind it thinking about doing some photoshop work changing it to the brood of viper's room but <clears throat> anyway <clears throat> yeah, he, he, while he's teaching you can just hear uh, the snake going did god really say anyway here, here's here's uh, rob bell's publisher to introduce him
2: good evening everybody Welcome to an evening with Rob Bell at the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood, California. That's pretty exciting. I'm Mickey Maudlin. I'm an executive editor at Harper One, uh, Rob's publisher. And I know what you're asking. Uh, who better than a dustbound introvert to introduce Rob Bell at the Viper Room, right? <laughs> Well, the reason I got out of my office today was because we're pretty excited. Uh, We're pretty excited about sponsoring this event tonight. Uh, But also, we want to celebrate several things. One is uh, today, starting today, the paperback of the New York Times bestseller, Love Wins, goes on sale today. And it's available back there uh, after the show if you want to buy a copy. But that's not the only thing that we're excited about. We are releasing all new editions of Rob's complete backlist, all his books, starting today. And uh, they were formally published by another publisher. We have taken them over, and they have all new covers, and they're available as well over there after the show. The third thing I'm excited about is we have another Rob Bell book coming, which is March, and it's going to be what we talk about when we talk about God.
0: See, my question is, what do we talk about when we talk about Rob Bell? I mean, that's kind of, the, the, I think, one of the more difficult questions to answer. So as you can see, well, what is this all about? Well, it's about selling books. Okay, and his new publisher needed an event to, you know, well, talk about the new book, talk about the new uh, books and paperback, his old books and paperback that they've now taken over. So this is about sales, you know. No, what better way to sell books and
2: have rob bell get up and talk about well i don't know rob bell um. and i've gone over about three or four versions of it that's how rob likes to work back and forth lots of dialogue he is not an introvert <laughs> big surprise and uh, it's been a blast working with him and this book is just going to blow you away it's a fantastic book um also wanted to announce that with in case anyone didn't know, that it's not just the room tonight. We are being live-streamed to thousands of others. So maybe we should say hello to the rest of America tonight. So let's clap for
3: everyone else. live stream.
2: Well, that's what we're celebrating. How are we going to celebrate tonight? I have been in uh, religious publishing for almost 30 years, and I have to say that Rob Bell is probably the most talented communicator I've ever worked with. Um, I always tell other uh, speakers that you should not try to be like Rob Bell because <laughs> it's just not going to happen.
0: So, I completely agree. In fact, any of you out there who are thinking about publishing books and you know, in the Christian world, don't be anything like Rob Bell. Be orthodox. <laughs> yeah. So it's, this is great advice, by the
2: way. So I think you're in for a real uh, big treat tonight. He's going to come out and speak for about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and then he's going to take questions. Uh, we'll field some questions from the uh, online audience, but also from you guys. And that Rob loves that we'll, we'll, live and we're interacting with an audience. So feel free to be thinking about what questions you'd like to ask at the end of the show. Uh, as I said, then it will that will be stop at nine o'clock. Then he'll probably be hanging out for a little bit. Books will be available, um, and then we have to be cleared out of here. Um, uh, a little bit after that, nine 10. Um, Rob is a talented communicator, like I said, but that's not what I get most excited about when I'm working with Rob. He's also a pastor. He cares about our souls, people's souls. Um, reading Rob Bell reminds me why I was so excited when I first learned that God loves me and had a wonderful plan for my life. Uh, God kind of restores the wonder, the awe, and the wholeness to the Christian life. Uh, For that, I'm deeply thankful for him and his work. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Rob Bell.
1: Hi, everybody. Great uh, to be with you tonight, and I want to thank the Viper Room um, just for moving the stripper pole so I could have a stool. Uh, Awful kind of them, don't you think? This happens a lot when you're a pastor and you're speaking. There are things that little stage recalibration that has to go on. Um, But it's just great. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Uh, It's great to be with you uh, tonight, and so I was thinking maybe I would just tell you a bunch of stories and then hopefully that'll kick up some dust and give you some things to think about. And then perhaps you'll have um, some questions and we'll get some sort of discussion going. Does that sound like a plan? There's a great story told about the Rabbi Akiva. One night, Rabbi Akiva is walking home to his house in the Galilee. And-
0: <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we're just going to tell a bunch of
1: stories story time with Rob Bell. And it's late at night, and a fog has come in, and there's a fork in the road. And there's a turnoff that goes to his village, but he misses it because it's late and it's foggy and he can't see. And so instead of veering to the right, he veers left, and he ends up at the wall and the doorway of a massive Roman military outpost that was in the region of his house. And there's a sort of sound up on the wall, and then one of the guards yells down, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And Akiva pauses and he says, excuse me? And the guard yells down, who are you? And what are you doing here? And Akiva thinks for a moment and he says, how much are they paying you? And he hears like a sort of a rustling up there. What? How much are they paying you? Eventually the guard yells down about 10 denarius a week. And Akiva yells up, I'll pay you twice that. come to my house and ask me those two questions every morning it's quite clever you'll get it later it's a sort of a slow burn (laughs) who are you what are you doing here when i was in uh college i was in a band we were called ton bundle because we've been driving by a supermarket and they Uh, oh
0: man by the way uh i wish i could say (laughs) the stories get any better
1: it's It's like ramble time with Rob Bell. I just, yeah. They had these massive advertisements where you could buy like 10 and 20 pounds of meat. And we thought, what if you could buy a ton bundle? We thought that was quite funny because we were in college. But we weren't just any band and we didn't just have any normal band name. We decided to take it to a whole new level. And so we put a blank in front of our band name so that at each gig we could put a different word in that blank and we could customize our band name for the gig so we found this picture of five nuns holding shotguns and we took off their heads and it superimposed our heads and we called our from the photograph he didn't they didn't actually take off yeah ourselves nun tun bundle for a while uh one gig we were rapunzel's tun bundle come to our gig and let down your hair i mean it was like that level of creative genius Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I'm gonna do?
0: I'm just gonna let Broad Bell kind of ramble on in the background. Uh, I, I might check in with a little bit with him a little bit later. See if any of his stories actually have a point. So uh, let, let me cue up the music here. We'll dive into the uh, the Patricia King update. Here, here we go. Um, are you suffering from an addiction? Well, um, Patricia King on her YouTube channel. Um, YouTube.com, Patricia King 777, well, has some advice for you on how to demolish uh, addictions. Um, Yeah, that's what the name of the video is Demolishing Addictions. Here we go. My name is
3: Patricia King with XP Ministries. I want to share with you today about how you can overcome a possible mountain in your life, a mountain of addiction. In the day that we're living in, there's, there's so many addictive agents. There's, of course, you know, even prescription drugs that are given out like candy oftentimes. There's, um, you know, alcohol addictions, there's smoking addictions, there's eating addictions, exercise addictions, there's... Man... <laughs>
0: If only I could trade my eating addiction for, my ex- for an exercise addiction. Imagine what my life would be like.
3: Compulsive behaviors. There's all kinds of addictions in this hour where people are trying to get hold of things to meet a need that's deep on the inside of their heart.
0: Right. Okay.
3: Ultimately, only God can fill that need. But we still have these mountains of addictions that we need to face and overcome. Do you want to possess and occupy your mountain of addiction and be a (laughs)
0: victim? I should let you all know that Patricia King is not a licensed um, therapist, and she doesn't play one on YouTube either. Um, (laughs) Do you want to occupy and conquer your mountain of addiction? usually they got the people out there occupying wall street so you can occupy your addiction apparently
3: you're over those things well i'm going to give you a few keys that'll help you and then i'm going to pray for you as well oh no the first key is to realize never 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 give up in galatians 6 9 it says that, that we will reap if we don't faint if we don't give up we have to endure and the problem with addiction is I know that so many of you that might be addicted have said, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I talked to someone who was addicted to porno and said, I've tried and I've tried, but it keeps getting worse. I talked to someone who had an eating addiction and he said, I've tried. I've tried every diet. I've tried to stop it, but I can't stop it. And I've just lost hope. I've lost, I've lost my oomph to go on. And I want to say never, never, never give up. Because it could be the very next time you try that could be your breakthrough. Be- before I became a Christian, I was a chain smoker. I mean,
0: So, this is a behavior modification. This a video from Patricia King,
4: okay. I, mean,
3: I was, I had smoke, I think, coming out of my ears, my eyeballs, my nostrils, everywhere. I smoked so much. I was so addicted to nicotine. I used to smoke two packages of cigarettes a day at least. I was so addicted that I would even make myself wake up in the night so I could sit up and have a cigarette and then go back to sleep. It was it was disgusting. The thing is, I tried so many times. I must have quit smoking probably 500 times, and that's probably a conservative number. It was like every other week I'd be trying to quit smoking, quit smoking, quit smoking for year after year after year.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm going to pause Patricia right there. Let's check back with Ron Bell see if... Uh... He's uh, figured out how to make a point yet from this uh, thing that he did the other night. Hang on.
1: Apparently the entire metaphor fell flat on its face. It wasn't just the terror of that question. It was the second question right on its heels, which was, how many, how many people have this question? Like, is, is the whole room wondering why I'm dressed? Like, am I that bad? If I stood here for an hour and just said, you really like the color purple, and at the end you were all like, mm, what, were you, uh, what was your point again?
0: Um, it- okay, no, um, sorry. There doesn't seem to be any progress on the Rob Bell front. Let's check back with Patricia King as she talks about her smoking addiction. Sorry, we got to check back see if Rob Bell has you know, got, figured out how to take his talk out of neutral and put it into first
4: gear. But I would
3: try, but every time I would fail... And I I would lose heart. I'd say, this isn't going to work. I might as well just accept the fact that I'll be a smoker for the rest of my life. And the thing with addiction, there's part of you that likes it. But there's part of you that hates it. That part of you that has been created in God for freedom knows that any kind of addiction isn't what you were made for. And so I continued to struggle. But you know, finally, one day, I finally did it. It finally was the last time I remember making a commitment to myself saying, I'm never going to take even so much as another drink. See, she pulled
0: it off. Apparently you can too. All you got to do is have the same resolve as Patricia King, and you can pull off conquering your addiction too.
3: Right, off of a cigarette. I had to not give up. Do you know that I made that commitment one morning. I woke up and I said, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And within seconds, I was tormented with temptation, and I had to endure i didn 't have the power within me at that time to endure for a whole day, but I thought, maybe I can do a couple of hours i said i'm going i 'm going to endure this temptation for a couple of hours i 'm going to say no i 'm going to endure i 'm not going to yeah, the scary part
0: is this is that there's probably people who've watched this video who are suffering from you know, some kind of a besetting sin or a habit or a uh, an addiction. And, you know, when you get in a situation like that, you get so desperate, you'll try anything, even advice from Patricia King. But trust me when I tell you, if this is what you're suffering from, the solution is the cross, not Patricia King's solution, even though she's here in a second going to talk a little bit about forgiveness, which is important. But wait till you hear where she goes with this. It gets really weird really quick. Just trust me. Right now, this sounds kind of sane. But she always uses sanity as the bait on her hook. You know, (laughs) once she has, you know... Has you, she sets the hook, and oh, boy, it's bad. I'm
3: going to give up on this. I can make it for the next couple of hours. Well, after I reached a couple of hours, I thought, wow, I went for a couple of hours without a cigarette. I'm going to go the whole morning now. And I went for half a day. And then in the afternoon, every time I'd get a temptation, I'd say, no, I can endure for the afternoon. Yeah,
0: hang on a second here. i got to
1: check back with Rob Bell, see if he's making any points in his lecture. Hang on. Yeah. The control is often an illusion. There are a few things we can control. And it's really important that we are deeply in touch with what those are because those can change everything. It's really, really important that we learn to laugh because sometimes all you have is your ability to laugh. My uh, friends and I and my sons, I was speaking up in in Canada, way up like central northern Canada, southern Canada, wherever. So we had to drive through the northern border of Minnesota and Canada. I know a lot of you guys have been there before. It's very hopping. But um, we were trying to get there the next morning, so we had to drive through the night. Yeah, no, things aren't progressing there. Yeah, if we're having to tell the, uh, the
0: Minnesota-Canada border story, well, things have degenerated pretty badly there at the Viper Room. All right, back with Patricia King. Hang on. Afternoon.
3: I'm not going to give up. I can endure for the afternoon. And I remember when I made it for an entire day without a cigarette. The next day was just as hard. The next day was just as hard. But I <laughs> noticed the
0: similarities between Patricia King and Rob Bell are, well, they sure do like talking about <clears throat> themselves.
3: This took half a day at a time at first and then a whole day at a time and then a week at a time and then a year at a time. But I'd made this quality decision that I'd never do it again. I finally made it, but it came after many attempts of failure. No matter how many times you've tried, do not give up because your day of breakthrough is on its way it is
2: yeah,
0: again i i gotta say if you're if you actually suffering from a besetting sin you need to get real help and not this kind of help just saying you know
3: it's so close don't give up i hear in my spirit right now someone saying,
0: oh no 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 Uh oh she's getting a word in her spirit you know apparently god the holy spirit is going Hi, Patricia. It's the Holy Spirit, and I, I need to give you a word for somebody who's suffering from an addiction. Can you uh, pass the
3: message along, please? Well, I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to eating. I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted to carbs. I can't stop it. Oh, yes, you can, and you will.
0: Just take that frown and turn it upside down. You got yourself a smile. Just have a sunny outlook on life, and you, too, can conquer your addiction. God, the Holy Spirit, just said
3: so. Oh. Because you're more than a conqueror in Christ. You can do it. You can conquer this mountain of addiction. There's someone I'm hearing in your spirit. I'm so addicted to porno. I hate it, but I'm addicted. I can't give it up. Yes, you can. Don't say you can't. Uh, Can we bring the cross in, please? Never, never, never give up. Just be assured that you Never, never, never give up.
0: Isn't that that slogan from Galaxy Quest?
5: We're alive. We made it, Commander. We made it. That grabs Thar's hammer, we live to tell the tale. Systems registered functional.
3: All systems are working, Commander.
2: I don't like it. It was too easy. Wait.
5: No. They're everywhere. There are timers opening everywhere. Trap. We're surrounded, Commander. Ah. It's a cold meltdown, sir. It can't be stopped.
3: Surrender may be our only option. No, never give up, never surrender.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. Never give up, never surrender. Hang on, before we go back with uh, Patricia King, uh, let let me check back in again with Rob Bell while he's painting, see if uh,
1: he's painted a point yet. Hang on. Talk about when we talk about God. Um, It was originally going to be called The Secret of the Purpose-Driven Shack. Uh... (laughs) But, (laughs) I just, I don't know. Um, So, (laughs) that's such a dumb joke, and it's kind of awesome, actually. (laughs) What are the odds somebody's going to do that book? Right now, somebody's going, oh my word, that totally captures the spirit of what I'm doing. Someone's typing somewhere. Got it. Got it. I was originally going to call it something else. Um. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny uh, and, and like It doesn't matter how many words you've written Like this past year In the morning I wake up, take my kids to school And sit back down And it's like Try to make the next paragraph And, 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 and here's The sort of secret in all this That's where the life is The life is not in how people respond To your work the life is in being true to what you're supposed to do.
0: Uh, okay. Back to Patricia King. The
3: day of breakthrough is at hand. The next point I want to bring to you is see yourself free. Start getting a vision of yourself as being free. One of the things that really helped me is I began to see myself as a non-smoker. Uh, I'm a non-smoker. I re- so
0: creative visualization, you know, it's this
3: Remember the first time? key
0: component of witchcraft, by the way,
3: I went into a restaurant because back in those days, which was like, you know, over 37 years ago, um, and I've been free for 37 years and will be for the rest of my life. It's not even a temptation anymore. Believe me. But back then it was a big temptation. But I began to see myself not as a smoker, but as a non smoker. I saw myself as a non addicted person. And when I went into the restaurant back then, they had smoking sections and non-smoking sections. And I remember the very first time when when the the, um, host said, would you like smoking or non-smoking? I said, I'll have the non-smoking section, please. And it was identifying with being a non-smoker. It was awesome. It felt so good on the inside. So see yourself as being free. See yourself. If you're addicted to food, see yourself as being free. Start to, to claim, I am free. I am, I am a person who eats in moderation. I have control over this mountain of addiction.
0: Yeah, that's right. Let's see. I, I'm free. I see myself with six-pack abs from like the P90X infomercials. Yeah, that'll do it.
3: If it's pornography or drug addiction or prescriptions or, or you know some kind of obsessive behavior, you can be free. Start to see yourself as that. The third point that I'd like to bring up is to repent from the very entry point where that addiction began.
0: Okay. Now, in case you're going to confuse this with repentance and the forgiveness of sins, biblical style, keep this in mind. You can't go back in time. So she's not telling you to repent and to be forgiven. She's telling you to repent from when you first launched into this bad behavior that has now ensnared you and and taken control of your life.
3: For me, I started smoking when I was 12 years of age when a friend offered me a cigarette and I wanted to be accepted by my friends. And so I remember lighting up that cigarette and I remember back in those days forcing myself to smoke and I coughed and choked, but I was determined that I was going to learn to smoke. Well, that addiction spirit got a hold of me.
0: Uh, (laughs) The addiction spirit got a hold of her.
3: Okay. So when I was coming free, I... Remember that entry point. Go into that memory and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Where does the Bible say we can go into that memory? Hey. That I gave myself over to that. I asked forgiveness for giving over to that addiction spirit. I cut ungodly soul ties with anyone. The- <laughs> you cut What? <laughs>
0: What's a soul tie? Um, Is that like one of those ties that you put on your trash bags that I never use that makes my wife crazy when I don't use them? I'm, what are you talking about?
3: What's a soul tie? I was involved at the time and just break the power of that addiction. If you're addicted to you know something like bulimia or something you know just just go back to the person that you first the the, the time when you first made yourself throw up say god i'm so sorry if you're addicted to c- well
0: it's important to repent and to be forgiven but this
3: isn't exactly
0: what that means
3: cutting say god i'm so sorry for that first time go back into time where you first did it and repent and ask for forgiveness and receive cleansing it'll help tremendously and if there were people involved in you making that decision or you were coerced into it or you were helping other people lead into it, cut those ungodly soul ties that'll really help you just say yeah
0: yeah just you know cut those ungodly soul ties how do you do that again? I'm not familiar with that particular technique. Um, at least it's not taught in the Bible. But listen,
3: ungodly soul ties—that'll really help you. Just say, "In Jesus' name, I cut those ungodly ties with." Yeah, that.
0: Hassan chop. Just get in there, you know, and just start chopping and hacking away at those ungodly soul ties. Yeah, you know, let me check back in with Rob Bell, see how things are progressing out there in the Viper Room.
1: I came up with that. That had—I was like, country gangsta or something. I don't know what that was. That was ridiculous. But you know what I mean? There was this like bearing about her, this like dignity. And I was, um, I was deeply, we were friends for four years and nothing, um, nothing ever, you know, giddy up, nothing. It was like, we were just friends. And at one point we were actually dating other people. And we had this long talk where I was like, what are you doing with him? And she was like, what are you doing with her like we had those sorts of that sort of friendship, and then I had always joked with her because her family had a Mastercraft, which is like an awesome boat for barefoot water skiing. Hey, sometime I'll stop by your house in Arizona and we'll go barefooting behind your Mastercraft. That was like a joke for four years, and then when I was moving out here to go to seminary, I literally got to call her and say, "Hey, can I stop by your house and can we go barefoot water skiing?" And uh, okay, <laughs> okay, enough of that. The idea of seeing Rob Bell barefoot water
0: skiing is just. Not doing it from me. I'd rather watch paint dry, but maybe that's the whole point of still painting. Hang on. A
3: person that I connected to, to come into addiction with. Even if you're addicted to a relationship, start cutting off that addiction. Go back to the beginning.
0: Yeah, don't go barefoot water skiing if you're in an addictive relationship. That would just mess everything beginning up. When
3: you got addicted to that relationship, and repent from the from from stepping into what was unhealthy. Yes.
0: Okay. You don't know what that means.
3: Number four is decree your freedom. What? The words of your mouth are very powerful. Okay. Even if you are not manifesting your freedom yet, receive it by faith and decree it. Oh, no.
0: This is kind of like the word of faith heresy.
3: Oh, boy. Receive it by faith and speak with your mouth.
0: Isn't this what Mary Baker Eddy taught in the mind science, the Christian, you know, Christians? Yeah.
3: That you are free. Decree your freedom.
0: Right on, yeah.
3: Next is speak grace, grace, grace to the mountain. It says in the... <laughs>
0: Okay, just speak grace, grace, grace to the mountain.
3: Bible, speak grace to that mountain. If it's an obstacle of addiction, a mountain of addiction before you, speak to that mountain of addiction. Speak grace, grace. Let the empowerment of God himself come into that region of your life. And in Jesus' name, break its power.
0: Uh... Man, this is not what the Bible teaches. Now
3: I'm going to pray for you right. Oh no! Now myself,
0: please don't. Because I have
3: faith for you to come free.
0: Because you have what? You have faith for me to come. Oh man!
3: I've come free from addictions. Yeah. I was addicted to alcohol before I got saved. I was addicted to smoking. I was addicted to other things. But now I'm free, because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And as a kingdom believer, we are to enjoy our freedom. So, I want you right now to join me in prayer and start receiving your freedom from addiction because I'm going to use my faith to see you set free
0: oh no I can't. <laughs> um do I have to explain what's wrong with that, or does, is that just pretty obvious that this is just not taught in the, nowhere in the Bible does it say you you or your faith can set oh boy um. Yeah, I think um, on the uh, make-no-sense scale, it was a clear tie between Rob Bell and Patricia King. Um, we're going to take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. We'll be right back. Get your Bible out. Open up to the book of Deuteronomy, the last few chapters. I'll I'll explain when we get there.
6: If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the
2: shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. (laughs)
4: Gosh, how can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching but nothing has happened sir if you read the fine print on the warranty you'll see that you are responsible for feeding not the church or the pastor oh. well can i exchange this jesus for another sir what kind of jesus are you looking for i need the jesus that forgives sins you know changes your life on the inside helps you overcome the sins of the flesh never leaves me nor forsakes me and will take me to heaven when i die oh i'm sorry sir We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that?
5: From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lacks comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century! Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts! Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll scream. And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. <laughs> To the script, please. So sorry, um buy it now while stocks last.
6: They download it. There is no supply of which to run out.
5: Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now. If they want to, yes. Oh. Well the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Get back in here. We're not done yet. Max holidays, Bird Cage Junior, the Buddy Cuts Part 2. Disapproved of by Heretics Everywhere. Get it before they do.
0: Uh, Warning, something you might want to keep in mind when somebody's rambling on and on and on about themselves. They're not actually teaching you about Jesus. Just something I've noticed. All right, just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking. Clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you. Those of you who support us and make it possible for us to keep doing what we're doing, we uh, literally are indebted to you in a way that, that it's not possible for us to repay. And just, just a reminder, we're still in the middle of our second second half of our summer bake sale to get through the uh, lean-mean uh, Summer months that are thin here financially, and uh, if you want to get your uh, T-shirt or bracelet that my mother-in-law made, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale and get your t-shirt or bracelet today they're fantastic and we're you know people all over the place are getting theirs now and uh, sending me pictures on facebook and other places letting me know they got them and they love them so okay moving along I, like i said at the prior to the break i wanted you to open up to the book of deuteronomy in fact deuteronomy chapter 31 a strange place to look but uh, there's something i want to point out to you and that is this is that god works through means and w- and w- what I mean by that is is that God could obviously just work with us directly okay problem is it would probably melt our face off and we'd end up basically being a smoldering heap of nothing okay so God chooses to rescue us through means okay the bible being really the the primary means by which we're being saved okay it's all scripture's god breathes okay now when we look at the book of judges we're going to be shortly looking at the story of um of gideon okay you gotta understand that this this cycle that you see in the book of judges god knew it was coming and god in his grace and mercy provided a means by which his word would be in the mouths minds and heart of his people and that would then draw them back to himself at the same time that he would then rescue them from uh, the punishment, you know, the, the, for their sins and their transgressions, believe it or not, okay. And it's not just the written Torah here; there was a special thing that God did. Now I don't know if you've ever heard this teaching, but it's found right here in the book of Deuteronomy. If you open your Bible to Deuteronomy thirty-one, I'm going to start at verse sixteen, and I'm going to read Deuteronomy thirty-one sixteen through the end of the uh, of chapter thirty-one. All of thirty-two, and that's gonna set the foundation for what we go into when we look at the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. Okay. Important that we get this because this is part of the what we call the wider context of the story of Gideon. You got the immediate context, and there's a wider context, and you have the you can have the overarching meta-narrative of the of the Bible that you can you can roll up into. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at something here. Moses is just so you know this. Moses is about ready to die. Okay, God's about ready to have his life ended. The reins are going to be passed over to Joshua. Moses knows all of this, and uh, they in Deuteronomy 28 you have the you know the blessings and curses of the Mosaic covenant being pronounced right, and the the children of Israel say, "We will do these things, and the blood be upon them." remember what Michael Horton said, so that's kind of you know a little bit more context of what's going on here, and God knows the children of Israel are not for a second going to really keep the law, okay, because the law is not there to save us it's it has a different purpose. so God immediately kicks into action and sets up a means by which his word his inspired word would be in the hearts, minds, and mouths of his own people. And it comes in the form of a song. Okay? Deuteronomy thirty-one sixteen. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. It's pretty clear. God knows exactly what's going to happen, right? So watch what God does here. You'll notice law and gospel are going to be in play. God's wrath, judgment, and forgiveness of sins and the means of restoration are all going to be in play. It's not one or the other. Nothing is missing. All the components are there. Verse 17, that God says, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, And I will forsake them, hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Keep that verse in your mind. It's going to be important when we look at Gideon. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Okay? clear what's going on here. Verse 19. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths so that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to the fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evil troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel so this song is the means by which god confronts his people with their sin and because it is god it is a god breathed song okay it is going to have the power to confront them with their sins and bring them to repentance fascinating story so the okay and the lord uh let's see So Moses wrote the song, verse 23, The Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, be strong and courageous. You shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. So, verse 24, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law, put it it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be therefore witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you." And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your own hands. So then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Chapter 32. This is this God-inspired song that's going to be in their hearts, in their minds, and on their lips. Even when they're rebelling against God, and God is going to use this as a means of confronting them with their wickedness, bringing them to repentance, and restoring them this is if you think of when you read the Book of Judges because the judges goes i mean it's it's going to start pretty quick after this um, well, actually you got the story of Joshua right after Joshua you got the book of judges coming up as soon as they get into the land of Israel, all of these things that God said are going to happen they go they start happening and you have to know that this song is playing in their heads they're singing it they're remembering it it's like a prophecy or a poem that haunts them and confronts them with their sins and that's that's working behind the scenes during the cycle of sin and rebellion and idolatry them being sold into slavery to the nations around them and then god rescuing them and restoring them and then the cycle starting all over again this this song is the means by which God is drawing the, the, the general population of Israel back to himself, confronting them with their sins and things like that. So here's, here are the words of the song. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. The Rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. They have dealt corruptly with Him. They are no longer His children, because they are blemished. They are crooked and a twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord? "'You foolish and senseless people! "'Is not He your Father who created you, "'who made you and established you? "'Remember the days of old. "'Consider the years of many generations. "'Ask your Father, and He will show you, "'your elders, and they will tell you. "'When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, "'when He divided mankind, "'He fixed the borders of the peoples "'according to the numbers of the sons of God. "'But the Lord's portion is His people. "'Jacob is His allotted heritage.' He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up in its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate and pro- the, the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd, and milk from the flock with the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats, and with the very finest of the wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat, and kicked, you grew fat, stout, and sleek, then he forsook God, who made him, and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them, because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them, and I will spend my arrows on them, that they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust, outdoors the sword, "'shall bereave an indoors terror. "'For young man and woman alike, "'from the nursing child with the man of gray hairs, "'I would have said, I will cut them to pieces, "'I will wipe them from human memory, "'had I not feared provocation by the enemy, "'lest their adversary should misunderstand, "'lest they should say, Our hand is triumphant. "'It was not the Lord who did all this. "'For they are a nation void of counsel.' And there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless the rock had sold them and the rock had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock, our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom, and from their fields of Gomorrah. Their, their grapes are grapes of poison, their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of the serpents and cruel the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. And there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices, and drank the wine of their drink-offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemies. We rejoice with him, O heavens, Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. So that song is not exactly going to be on the top 10 or top 40 hit charts. But God did promise this, okay? Again, going back to Deuteronomy 31, For when I have brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evil evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. Okay? So God has this inspired word that's now set to a song that will confront the children of Israel. So with that in mind, we now go to uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to take a look at the story of Gideon. And with this background in mind, we now know exactly what's going on here. The children of Israel have come into the land. Joshua's dead. Moses is dead. All of those patriarchs are dead. They've grown fat in the land, they've despised God, and they've began serving other gods, and God punishes them. And even in God's punishment, this song is being sung in Israel and confronting them with their sins and bringing them to repentance. This is critical, because in the song also, it talks about how one can set thousands to flight. That would be one soldier setting thousands of enemy soldiers to flight, how two sets 10,000 to flight, right? That plays into this story here in Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What What did they do? They broke the covenant, and they began worshiping other gods this is, becomes very clear in the context of the story here but i'm telling you to up front so the lord gave them into the hand of midian seven years and the hand of the midian of midian overpowered israel and because of midian the people of israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds for whatever the israelites whenever the uh, israelites planted crops the midianites and the amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. And they would come up with their livestock, their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out Out for help to the Lord. And remember, they're singing this song, and this song is telling of how God, even though He is punishing them, will cleanse their land, right? So when the people of Israel called out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, so they're again con- confronted with their sin. God hears their prayer, sends a prophet, and what is the, what is the prophet basically calling them to do? Repent. Put away their idols. Put them away. Trust in the Lord. God is a jealous God. He does not allow his glory to be shared with an idol. Okay? Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord, this is this is an epiphany. This is clearly Christ pre-incarnation. It just just got all all the hallmarks of that. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiratherite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So he's beating out the wheat in 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 a wine press to hide himself because if the Midianites saw it, they'd take his food. They'd have nothing. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Stop. Okay, now I'm gonna point something out here. Okay? It says in Scripture that the Lord that calls the things that are not as though they are. Okay? This is not Jesus telling Gideon he just needs to look inside of him and embrace what he already is. No, he is this because God, through his word, calls and declares him to be this. The Lord is with you with you. Who's doing the work? The Lord is. He's a mighty man of valor because Christ has declared him to be a mighty man of valor. And when God says something, what he says is true, okay? Whether you think it or not. And let me give you something that is something parallel to this that will help. When you look at your life, be honest. In light of the Ten Commandments, do you see sinner or saint? When you look at your life in light of the Ten Commandments, the image that comes back should point you to being a sinner. And yet, Christ calls you a saint. And you go, how can that be? I'm so aware of the sin that I commit on a daily basis. Answer, because he has declared you to be a saint, declared you to be holy, and he has justified you by the shed blood of Christ. You by faith are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and even though your sins be as scarlet you are washed as white as snow does that make sense so that that would be kind of a parallel teaching here it, it, and the idea is is that Christ is declaring Gideon to be a man of valor not because he by himself is but because he is because Christ has said that he is just like even though you see sin, all your sin, you are righteous because Christ says you are righteous and you are righteous and made righteous by the blood of the lamb. OK, so the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Kind of a silly question the song already tells him. And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Right, exactly, because God said he would do that. And if you'd listen to the lyrics of the song, Gideon, you know the song, you know the tune, you know what it says, you'd know what's going on, right? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Do not I send you. Okay? That's the important part. Christ is sending him. In, by the way, do you know what uh, the Greek word for apostle means? Sent one. Gideon here is kind of a a type and shadow of the apostles. He is being sent. He is an apostle, a sent one, sent by the Lord. And the Lord has given him might and power and declared him to be a mighty man of valor. And the Lord is with him and is sending him to do something. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I. Will be with you, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Notice again he counter he count Gideon here is countering with his own sinful flesh, and what he's saying is absolutely true, right, and Christ's comfort to him is not that just go and do it. I'm commanding you, he's saying no, 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 I will be with you. I am sending you. I have declared you to be this. And so, think of it, let me give you another parallel. Okay, let me give you a parallel that applies to the Christian life. We do have certain certain promises, you know, not that we are mighty men of valor, but that we are saints, that we're declared holy, where God sees us as righteous. And you say to yourself, how am I supposed to go and share the gospel with my neighbors? I'm a sinner, they know it they've heard me have that fight with my husband they've seen my kids behave and they know that there are no saints and you how am i supposed to go and share the gospel with them and christ says have i not made you clean are you not righteous because i have declared you righteous go and tell them the good news of the forgiveness of sins okay parallel idea here okay this is doubt Running against the sure and certain word of God. And there's ways in which this happens in our own life. I could give you other examples, but if we're going to make parallels, we've got to make sure the parallels are right, the parallels are straight. Okay? So go in this might of yours and save Israel, and uh, uh, do not I send you. Behold, my clan is weakest. We've read that. All right, so he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Okay, now, I'm going to point something out here. This is kind of like Doubting Thomas kind of time. Does Christ rebuke him for his doubt in asking for a sign so that he knows that it's the Lord and that he's not being deceived? Right? Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat, unleavened cakes, And an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel and the of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now I'm going to point something out here. Christ, in a very similar way, says the same thing to you and I. Let me roll this up, back up, and go into the New Testament for a second. Okay? It says in Scripture that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you believe in him, even though you die, yet shall you live. Jesus' gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that your great God and Savior bled and died in your place on the cross, that good news is for you and tells and speaks to you these words you are now you now have peace with god you now have peace with god right and you shall not die these are great words in this type and shadow here in gideon again christ is right here in the story he's not far away he's right in the middle of this and what is he doing he's speaking peace he speaks peace to gideon and he also speaks peace to you and that's what christ does he speaks peace to you let me read to you therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is passed away behold the new has come this is second corinthians chapter 5:17 all of this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. This is most certainly true. Christ speaks peace to you Christians, and says to you, your sins are forgiven. You have been reconciled to God by what Christ has done. Peace, you shall not die. This word here spoken to Gideon also truly is spoken to you in the New Testament in an even greater way. Okay? So... Peace, do not fear, you shall not die. Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Oh, great name for God, right? The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Aborizahites. Now that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, and the second bull, seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down, the Asherah that is beside it. Notice the idolatry here. We've got an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole. Asherah is a fertility goddess. Build an altar to the Lord your God, and on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order, take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with a wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early... In the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this? And after they and afterwards they searched and inquired. They said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Obviously one of his ten men turned him in. Um, <laughs> and then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son so that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerob Baal. That is to say, let Baal contend for himself, because he broke down his altar. Now, all the Midianites... And the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Hear that? The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet and the Abireserites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry in all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Notice, God does not despise his weakness. and his little tiny faith, You know, it's almost as if you can hear from the New Testament, you know, about, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? And God here is gracious, and he's kind, and he is at peace with Gideon. He's not at war with him, and he is, well, comforting him in his frailty, comforting him even in his weak, tiny faith. So then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, notice <laughs> the change of name here, he's kind of taken Jerubbaal upon himself, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel should boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Hurry away from Mount Gilead. So then 22,000 of the people returned, and only 10,000 remained. (laughs) Well, that clears away two-thirds of them. By the way, this is not any way to conduct a war, right? So the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for for you there, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. The Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. So God's choosing all the feral guys, right? Likewise, everyone who he kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped the water, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel every man to his tent, but he retained the 300 men and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hand. Who won this battle? (laughs) The Lord did. The Lord gave the Midianites into the hands of Gideon and his 300 men. Watch this. But if you are afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Notice the Lord said to him, If you're afraid, go and listen. And what does he do? He goes and listens. He's afraid. This mighty man of valor is afraid. Of course he is, right? The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat, and his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given him into his hand, Midian, and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Notice, he was not rebuked by God for being fearful. God even made a provision for that and strengthened his hand even through his fear, right? So he worshipped and then he returned the camp of Israel and he said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Not that you're going to do something great. He said, the Lord has done something great. The Lord has given them into your hand. Arise. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me. And do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had set the watch, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars that they held in their, their left hands, the torches, and in the right hand, the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And all the army ran they cried out and fled, and when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Beth towards Zerah, and as far as the border of abel Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and Asher and from Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian." Who won this battle? The Lord did. Just like the Lord has won your battle for you against sin, death, and the devil. Christ is the light that shines in the darkness. And on the last day, the trumpet will sound of the archangel. And on that day, you will not need to fear because Christ has covered you in his blood and has put his name on you when you were baptized in the name of the father son and holy spirit he's won the battle he's set you free and he's declared to you peace you shall not die this is a story of salvation it is a small picture of what your salvation looks like this is a type and shadow the real battle that was won was won on the cross, and it was won by one man, not 300. For truly Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, is a mighty man of valor. And he has no fear or doubt, and he went to the cross for you and for me. Now, I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do our sermon review. The reason I took the time to teach this story is so that you would know how what this story is should be rightly handled and rightly taught and rightly point us to Christ, so that when you hear how it's being taught by this man in this sermon, you'll realize just how shallow, off-topic, and missing the point that sermon really is. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Sermon review time when we come back. We'll be right back.
2: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
5: This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. okay we're back hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time sometimes I find it important to actually uh, do the pre-teaching before we get into the sermon review because it's better to study the real thing than the counterfeit once you've once you've held and understand what the real thing is the counterfeit is never appealing alright let's do this The good, the bad, the ugly We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service Today's um, sermon Comes to us via the Winner's Circle Church Cypress, Texas Nate Anderson presiding The name of the so-called sermon is called The Amazing Spider-Man Conquering Self-Doubt It's
2: just
0: can't make this stuff up which by the way i don't understand why they made a new spider-man movie it doesn't make any sense to me i mean it wasn't all that long ago that they made a really popular version of spider-man telling the story of how it became Sp- why do we have to have this again sorry wrong kind of wrong time to lament about that anyway let me kill the music so without any further ado Here is Nate Anderson and his sermon, The Amazing Spider-Man, from their God on Film sermon series, Conquering Self-Doubt. And apparently that's what the story of Gideon's all about. Here we go.
6: This morning what we're going to talk about is how to conquer self-doubt. How to conquer self-doubt. And uh, maybe just set this up a little bit, Spider-Man is probably the perfect... Uh, at least comic book hero, to talk about this because the thing that's always kind of separated or made Spider-Man unique as a character, whether it's in the comic books or whether it was the, the first three movies or, or this new reboot, they called it a reboot reboot movie that came out, is that uh, Peter Parker is, is this teenager who's full of angst and he's full of self-doubt. And uh, you would be, it would be difficult for you to find many Descriptions of his character that wouldn't include that phrase or that word self-doubt. Uh, Peter Parker is full of it, and, and uh, a lot of that ties to the fact that uh, he, was, he, he was an orphan. And in this movie, they kind of took a little bit of a unique twist on that because they showed his, his parents actually abandoning him. And, and all through the movie, he's got, he has these questions about, you know, who am I and, and why did my dad leave me? And, and, you know, which begins to lead to other questions about, am I not good enough or am I not important enough or I'm, am, am I not special enough? And all of these things kind of lead to self-doubt or self-doubt issues. And, and of course, Spider-Man uh, had found out that, or Peter Parker discovered after he got bit by a, a radioactive spider... Uh, that he had these special powers. And uh, as he discovered these special gifts and these special powers, all of a sudden it, it started a tra- chain reaction in his life where he began to conquer some of these self-doubt issues. Not not totally, but he began to. And, and not all... Be-
0: <clears throat> Just a reminder, you will not find the story of Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the Bible.
6: ...all because he put on the suit. Um, but here's the deal. To the best of my knowledge... No one in this room has ever been bitten by a radioactive spider, right? And, 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 and no one probably has a Spider-Man suit, except maybe Ross, except maybe Ross, uh, or at least no one has a Spider-Man suit that you look good in. And so, and so we, don't, we don't have the same advantages that, that Peter Parker had. Uh, but what we can do is we can look to what the Bible says about conquering self-doubt. But first, let's talk about what self-doubt is, okay? Okay. Um, Self-doubt is not the same thing as
0: having a low self-esteem. Well, that's great. Um, Where does the Bible define self-doubt? Huh? I thought we're supposed to trust in Christ and not ourselves. You can have a very high self-esteem and you can
6: still deal with issues of self-doubt. Self-doubt is a feeling of uncertainty about your ability to do something or accomplish something. That's what it is. Self-doubt is a feeling of uncertainty about your ability to do or accomplish things. It is a temporary expression of insecurity. In other words, you can feel good about something and, and, and maybe you decide to take something on or do something you've never done before, and, and after you've made the commitment, all of a sudden you go, whoa, <laughs> what did I get myself into? You know, It's kind of like um, years ago when I decided to jump off some cliffs at a lake with, with my friends, it looked really easy while we're down in the boat. Once we climbed up the hill and got to the top of the cliff and looked down, it was like, whoa. You know, and I began to doubt my decision. I, I began to doubt whether I could live through it. Self-doubt is, is something that happens in a moment or in a situation. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you've experienced self-doubt when you've got a, been hired for a new job. Or maybe you got a promotion at work, and then after you got a promotion, you begin to think, "Man, am, am I able to really do this? Maybe I shouldn't have taken the promotion." You begin to doubt yourself. Maybe you're taking on uh, some kind of a
0: new venture. Uh, you know, self doubt can. Come- so God doesn't want me to have self doubt regarding a new business venture or taking a promotion at work. So apparently the Bible has something to say about those of you who are experiencing self doubt. If you're you got a new business venture some risky thing you're up to or you you know the promotion at work things like that good notice um what hasn't made an appearance yet is the bible so this is not a problem that has its definition anchored into a biblical text we have created the definition now we're going to go fishing through the scriptures to see if we can find something that fits the definition and shoehorn it into this definition by the way this is all psychology um, pop psychology at that. This is not biblical theology and or sound doctrine.
6: Come after you've made a major mistake in your life, you know. Uh, maybe you um, spent some money that you shouldn't have or invested it where you shouldn't have, or, or, or maybe you made a mistake in a dating relationship, or, you know, but, but after this mistake, you begin to doubt yourself, and your ability to make decisions, and, and your able, ability to do things right the next time the opportunity comes. Um, you know, sometimes self-doubt comes in the form of just trying to be a good parent. Mom, Dad, have you, have you ever been in the situation where all you wanted to do what was best for your kids, and you felt like, I don't even know for sure what's the right thing to do? Am I even able? Am I a good mother? Am I a good father? You know, that's self-doubt.
0: And you don't have to be an insecure... What on earth does this have to do with the fruits of the Holy Spirit and repentance and faith and trust in Christ?
6: Your person to experience self doubt uh, maybe recently you lost a job or, or you were laid off and you 're looking for work that will create self doubt maybe uh, you 're in a new relationship and it doesn 't just have to be a romantic relationship, but it can be it could be uh, you know that, that you're just you 're trying to be friendly with your neighbors and it 's a new friendship relationship or or maybe someone at work and and then all of a sudden you begin to doubt you know are they gonna like me you know do do
0: do, do i dress right are they gonna prove me in these issues why do i need a crucified and risen savior for this problem
6: issues of self-doubt come in and so there's not really just one thing that creates self-doubt and self-doubt is not the same thing as just being completely insecure and having low self-esteem but it's about when the moment comes to do the thing that you want to do and you begin to doubt yourself, that is self-doubt. And, and, and self-doubt can completely derail you. You know, we saw a little bit, a little bit of it in the movie uh, with Peter Parker, um, like when he was trying to talk to a girl, you know, and he just gets really awkward, doesn't know what to say, and I can't really just come out and ask her out. Well, you know, there's this awkward pause because he's filled with self-doubt. He's filled with self doubt. He's getting bullied at school, doesn't know what to do about it. And of course, we just saw a clip. You know, after he got his, his spidey powers, you know, he began to get some confidence and, and, and be able to do something about it. But listen, almost everyone, even the most confident people in this room, will deal with bouts
0: and situations of self
6: doubt. And listen, self doubt carries
0: consequences. It carries consequences. It'll make you- mm, So there's consequences of self doubt. Would that be an eternity in hell? Like you know, being rebellious and sinful against God.
6: it you feel inadequate, it'll make you feel overwhelmed, it'll make you feel insecure. You know, things that we don't like...
0: Oh, that's terrible. Um, no, I, feeling inadequate and insecure. Oh, the bane of humanity.
6: ...like to feel that that's what it will do. And, and, and this insecurity can begin to lead to hesitation and, and indecision and, and the inability to make the decisions that we need to make. You know, uh, maybe you got promoted at work and and now it it falls to you to make the decisions, but but you're doubting yourself, so now you're looking to everybody else to help you make those decisions. Well, that's not good for you personally. It's not good for your career. And so self-doubt will affect your decision-making ability. and, And here's the deal. If it's left unchecked, if you don't learn how to deal with it, okay, you know, it just takes a few experiences and a few issues where self-doubt makes you back down and it will take you off your course for life. It'll move you off course. It'll move you off your career course. Listen, it'll move you off of your course just in your calling, what God has destined for you. And if you're following the course that God has for you, you can believe to expect that you're going to deal with self-doubt because God is going to require you, require you to do some things that seem really, really difficult and beyond your ability. Uh, research, uh, there, there's a, 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 some research that was done about self-doubt and how it affects you in your performance at work, and here's what they found. so When, when, when you're plagued with self-doubt and you don't know how to deal with it, uh, you simply don't do the things you need to do. That can be a problem. You are uh, scared to try new activities. You not have to raise your hand, but anybody here, uh, you know, afraid of trying something new? You lose, this is a big one, you lose the motivation to perform. Losing the motivation to perform can be the front end of a spiral into depression. It prompts defensive actions to avoid failure and it can limit your growth and your change. And so, I, I mean, where does it come from? Why do we become self-doubters? Look, there are a million different things. You know, maybe you were raised in a home where your parents made you feel like you weren't, you, you weren't good enough or you didn't measure up or you didn't perform well enough. And that will begin to make you doubt yourself constantly. You know, but maybe you're just in a new experience or, or maybe you've had some recent failure in your life. It doesn't matter. Because the bottom line is everybody deals with self-doubt. How do I know that I have it? How do you know? I mean, I think I doubt or I think I don't. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple of cues. Let me give you a few cues. We'll get, in a second, we'll talk about how to deal with it. Let me give you a few cues. If you hear yourself say these things, you may be dealing with self-doubt. One, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm unsure. I've got to make a decision. I'm unsure. How about this? Maybe I was wrong. Now listen, if you were wrong, it's okay to admit you were wrong. But if you're always, every time someone confronts you, you think, well, maybe I was wrong. It was my fault. I was wrong. That's a form of self-doubt. Because you're doubting your ability to make good decisions. Uh, How about this? I don't feel up to the task. It's too much for me. I don't have the ability to do it. I don't feel up to it. Or how about this one? This is just too hard. It's too hard for me. All of those questions
0: or statements
6: can be indicators that you're dealing
0: with self-doubt. Did you notice what was missing from that, li- that diagnostic list? Yeah. Anything that has re- anything to do remotely with the Bible. The Bible is not the source of that diagnostic as to whether or not you may be suffering from self-doubt. I don't know where he got that from. Dr. Phil, Oprah, you know, some kind of pop psychology book that he read, but he didn't get this from Scripture. This is not a biblical concept. Literally.
6: And as soon as you hear yourself say something like that, you need to do something about it. You've got to cut it off. You gotta nip it in the butt. Uh let's let, you know, Gideon's a good example. Let's let's turn to Judges chapter six.
0: Now, so now we're gonna to go to the story of Gideon to somehow shoehorn in. I mean, he can he did all the diagnostic work first, so now we're going to engage in what's called eisegesis. Okay. It's not I C E J E S U S. That's not how you spell isagesis. It's E I S E G. Anyway, I'd have to look to spell the rest of it, but that's the, it's called isojesus, and it means reading something into the text. Nobody who is handling God's word ought to be reading things into the text. Okay? You're supposed to exegete. You're supposed to read out what God has revealed in his word. So now he set up the problem without scripture, and now he's hunting for a biblical text that he can shoehorn in this concept so that he can read into the biblical text all this stuff about self-doubt. Yet when I read the text to you straight and taught the text to you in its fuller context, it had nothing to do with self-doubt at all. You were able to see exactly what was going on. It was a cycle of sin, idolatry, God's judgment, repentance, and God's deliverance. That was what the cycle was that we saw going on there, and and even the fears and the doubts that that uh, that Gideon had. It's not that he was suffering from self-doubt; it's that he was su- suffering from small faith or lack of faith or small doubt uh, or doubt in Christ, right? And God was merciful and kind and even strengthened his hand. And who won the battle? Not Gideon. God did. But with all of that in mind, let's continue with what we're going to do now. So now we're going to supposedly the book of Judges to hear the story of Gideon told from a pop psychology filter regarding self-doubt.
6: And see if Gideon says anything like that. See if he has any self-doubt. In Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him, unto Gideon, and said, Mighty hero... The Lord is with you. Now, I love, look, we already know that Gideon's going to deal with some self-doubt. God knew it too. And I love how God just comes in and calls Gideon something that that Gideon is going to have a hard time believing. You know what? And if you sit down and you spend enough time talking to God, he might say something like that to you. He may call you a mighty hero. He may call you a
0: mighty person. Seriously doubt it. I mean, serious. When is Christ going to appear to you and call you a mighty hero? He calls you and declares you to be forgiven and justified and a saint. But a mighty hero, are you going to save Israel? I mean, seriously. This is narcissistic eisegesis now.
6: He may call you a rock or a pillar even when you don't feel like it. And he will challenge you up. You know what happens when you're challenged up? You are forced to face and to deal with self-doubt. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Gideon doesn't even realize this is God he's talking to. Why has all of this happened to us and where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And they were under total suppression to the Midianites.
0: And then the Lord turned to him. Right, they were because of their idolatry, and Moses predicted that this would happen. That's why that song was written, as the means by which God would confront them with their sins, bring them to repentance, and then deliver them.
6: And said, go with the strength that you have, I love this, go with the strength that you have, and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I am sending you. And so God challenges him to do something. And I find it interesting that God says, you have the ability to do it. Go in the strength that you have. You have the ability to do it. Gideon had...
0: Yet when we just read the story, who was the one who delivered Midian into the hands of Gideon? (laughs) Yeah, that would be the Lord.
6: ...had the ability to do exactly what God asked him to do. But here's how he responds, verse, verse 15. But ever heard a good butt sermon before? Now, we had a pastor who used to like to tell butt sermons about big old butts, you know, and this is a big old butt. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? I'm not sure. I'm not up to the task. This is too hard. Gideon is dealing with a classic case of self-doubt. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. In other words, God, I mean, look, nobody believes in me. You know, my clan's not successful. And then inside of the clan, my family's not successful. And then in the family, I'm the least successful one of the bunch. I can't do it. Self-doubt. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I love that God said, listen, Gideon, this is what you're going to do. You will destroy them. And so God is challenging him up. And here's what God's doing. God is making him face and deal with self-doubt. And here's number one, the, the, the number one. A biblical point or key to conquering self-doubt, you have to acknowledge your doubts and face them. You've got to acknowledge your doubts and face them. And so, so Gideon has this conversation with, with the Lord, doesn't realize it's him, and then begins to think, okay, I need to offer up a sacrifice to God. Maybe this is a messenger from him. So he runs off and says, hey, wait here for a second. Runs off to get some stuff to make a sacrifice, comes back, offers it, and, um, and, and then, and then the, the angel of the Lord, and it was actually the Lord, uh, disappeared. And when he disappeared, um, this is what Gideon said. This is so funny. Now, think about this. Gideon's mind minding his own business, doing his own thing. God comes to him. He didn't seek out God. I mean, it's obvious to anybody reading the story that God wanted something from him and God thought Gideon could do it. But as soon as he disappears, this is is Gideon's default. Verse 22. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. God came to him and spoke with him and all he can think of is, I'm doomed. I'm not worthy. I'm in trouble. And then, it's all right, the Lord replied. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And so Gideon is full of self-doubt. He is freaking out. And and it's starting to take over him. He's trying to make a decision not to do what he should be doing. And so here's what happens.
0: Um, text doesn't say that, and uh, he was rightfully fearing because he saw God face-to-face, and he knew that that was something that would normally kill him.
6: ...is that God, before he has him uh, go and conquer the Midianites, immediately says this. He says, I want you to go tear down your, your father has an altar to Baal. Now listen, er, er, every, everyone was worshiping Baal. Part of the reason that they were under the, the power of the Midianites was because they had turned from God and turned to Baal. And so God wasn't standing up for them or protecting them. And so he says, Gideon, here's what, what we've we got to do something about the self-doubt. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down your your father's altar to Baal.
0: And I want you to... Notice the text doesn't say anywhere that God said, you know, we've got to do something about the self-doubt. So let's do a practice run that will help get you... You know, it, you know, overcoming self-doubt. He just completely read that into the text. Again, that's eisegesis. That's not faithfully handling a biblical text. That's reading something into it that's not there. He just did it.
6: Take the stones. I want you to build an altar to me, and I want you to take the Asherah pole, and I want you to break it up, and I want you to put it on the altar, and I want you to go take the second his second cow, I don't know why the second said the first, but maybe he didn't want to make his dad too mad, but go take the second cow and offer it on that altar as a sacrifice to me. And so he burns the Asherah pole, offers his father's cow as a sacrifice, and basically defaces Baal, who everyone around there worshipped. Well, Gideon's afraid. You know, they're going to kill me. If someone sees me do this, I'm in trouble. So he, he did it at night so no one would see. He was You know, he's being sneaky. Because he didn't feel very confident. And then in the morning, everyone sees it and there's an uproar in the village and they want to kill uh, Gideon on the spot. And of all people, Gideon's father, who was his cow and it was his altar, says, hey, so what? So what if someone decides to worship and stands up for him and for whatever reason when he spoke, okay, look, he's the least in the family. They've got a small family. They're not important people. But when Gideon's father spoke up, everybody walked off and left him alone. And then God began to build a sense of confidence in Gideon through this small event. And here's the deal. God knows that we deal
0: with self The text doesn't say that God built confidence in Gideon by doing that. That was not the point of that.
6: Of doubt, and he will challenge us or challenge us to face it. And the first thing that we've got to do is acknowledge that it's there and then do something about it. You've got to recognize that the questions exist. Right. You realize you can't conquer an enemy that you don't realize is an enemy. Right. If you don't think there's a problem, you're not going to do anything about it. And here's the deal. When you ignore when you ignore self-doubt, you are giving it permission to control your life.
0: Right. You are giving it permission. Um. Where does the Bible say that? What are you talking about? Self doubt is not a thing. It does. So I'm not giving it permission. To, it's that's oh, ridiculous. I mean, if self doubt is doubt of self, then it comes from myself. So I'm giving myself permission to what? This oh, this is absurd, and a complete mishandling of the biblical text.
6: Permission to impose its limits in your life. I'm not doing anything wrong. No, when you ignore self-doubt, you are allowing it to impose limits. And so as soon as these kinds of words come out of your mouth, you've got to do something about it. You've got to face it. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to recognize it. You've got to analyze it. Well, what do you mean? Question your doubt. Question your doubt. Defend yourself. Hey, why am I not good enough for this? Why can't I do this? Who says I'm not smart enough to do this? Why in the world would I think? Begin to question your doubt. Argue against it. Challenge it.
0: Yeah, so doubt your doubt and start having uh, an argument with yourself. That'll solve everything.
6: You know, and the best way to win that challenge or that argument is, is something you already know. Go to the Word of God. What's the Word of God say about you? Align your argument with God's Word. But challenge it and listen, try to get a handle on where it's coming from, why you feel that way. Why? I'm not saying, you know, don't psychoanalyze yourself all the way back to your child or anything, but just try to get a feeling for what, you know, where's this coming from? What are the situations where I see this repeat? Because as you begin to target where it's coming from, you empower yourself to do something about it. Listen, you empower yourself to fight it with the Word of God. If you find out what the problem is, you find out what the Word of God says instead, and you can defeat it. And so there's kind of a funny story. Gideon begins to realize he has self-doubt. Through all of this, he begins to realize it. Because now God asks him to go and deliver uh, Israel from the Midianites. And he says, Okay, okay, okay. But wait, 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 wait. Just one thing, God. I'm going to take this piece of wool and I'm going to throw, throw it on the ground. And uh, let me see if I can not get these backwards. If you if you can make was it the ground wet and the and the fleece dry first. If you if if I come out in the morning and the dew is wet everything and the fleece is dry. And then 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 I know that you're telling me to do this. I mean not not, not I mean the Lord showed up and, and then and then disappeared and then a voice spoke to him. Okay, and then he went and did something that was really suicide in his village to to deface the altar, and then no one did anything about it. I mean, God's already proven it, but wait, 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 wait. You know, he's still fighting the self-doubt. And so sure enough, he wakes up the next next morning and God had done it. And what's funny to me is then he says, okay, 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 okay. Uh, Just one more thing, Lord. And then he reversed it, you know, the fleece wet and the ground dry. One was first, one was second, doesn't matter to me. Okay, but here's what was interesting he said. He said, God, please don't be mad at me. Please don't be mad at me. I just got to ask one more favor. Because Gideon began to realize that his self-doubt was ridiculous, that it was wrong, that there was a problem with it. Otherwise, he wouldn't feel like that. God, don't, don't, don't be he's getting. He's realizing there's a challenge there. There's something that he needs to acknowledge and deal with it. And then the great thing is, by the end of the story, Gideon is transformed into this totally confident guy. So, you know, God whittles their army down to just 300. I mean, sends thousands of, of the military away. Okay, they're already outnumbered, but let's just make the odds worse before you fight. And, and so they got their 300, and, and God tells them, you know, hey, listen, tomorrow I'm going to deliver them into your hands, and if you still don't believe me, why don't you go sneak into their camp? Which doesn't make sense, right? Why would you sneak to their camp? You know, if you're, you're afraid, but whatever. So Gideon, it might be afraid that about the fight, but he's not afraid to sneak into the camp. But he overhears someone who had a dream and was interpreted, and he realized God was going to deliver him. And so they didn't even have to fight any kind of a battle, and the Midianites kind of skirmish and fight among themselves, and then they run off, and, and they're on the run, and they're chasing him down. And, um, and as they're chasing him down, uh, the Midianites are, are getting away, and they're killing a bunch of them, but some of them are still getting away. And I think there's, you know, 15,000 left out of like 100,000 or more uh, of their army. And, um, and, and they're getting worn out. They're chasing them, but they're getting tired. So they stopped at a city, and, and they asked for, hey, can you just give us some food, some refreshments? Um, we're going to wipe these guys out, and, uh, and we need some help. And the people there um, kind of had a little bit of attitude. And they're like, well, we'll see if you kill them first. And if you do, then we'll do something for you. And uh, Gideon, Mr. Self-Doubter, stops and says, Brother, if you don't help me out, when I come back here, I'm going to torture you with thorns and thistles, and I'm going to make you pay. Right? And so they end up chasing him down with them. They don't do anything. He chases them down. They wipe them out. And sure enough, they come back to the city, and he asks somebody, Hey, I want to know who all the elders are in the city because I'm going to deal with them. Comes into the city, and then he says, Look, we took care of business, and this is what you said, and I told you I was coming back. I told you I was coming back. And then they took all these thorns of and tortured these guys, right? And then uh, they tore down the, their tower in the middle of the city, and then they killed all the men in the city. I know it's overkill, and it's violent, and it's bad, but I'm just telling you, Gideon got transformed into one bad, confident dude. And here's the deal. If you let God transform you, if you do what he says to do, God will turn your self-doubt into total confidence. So number one, you've got to acknowledge, you've got to acknowledge the self-doubt is there and you've got to face it. You've got to deal with it. You've got to look it in the eye. You've got to question it and you've got to fight it. You've got to challenge it. Number two, you've got to appreciate your gifts and your talents. Appreciate your gifts and your talents. You are gifted and you are talented whether you believe it or not. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read about another really good example of a self doubter. His name is Moses. And so, this is, uh, you know, Moses has already left Egypt.
0: He's he's been in Midian for forty years, and uh, one day he's out. You know, just real quick question here: um, Was Moses all by himself? All by him, his lonesome. Did he have the ability to release the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt? Or was it the mighty hand of the Lord that released them? You see what I'm saying here? I mean, here he's making this all about self-doubt, yet what they were really doubting was the word of the Lord, not themselves. And ultimately they had to trust what the Lord said. And the Lord did what he said he was going to do. It's what, huh, yeah, this is so wrong.
6: You know, he's doing his shepherd stuff, what shepherds do. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden he sees this bush that's on fire, but the bush isn't burning, but there's fire there. He's like, dude, I got to check this out. What's going on? And uh, so he goes over and approaches uh, the bush, and then God begins to speak to him. And, um, and let's just pick up in verse 10. This is God speaking. He says, Moses, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested. This is too hard, God. I'm not so sure about this. I don't think I'm up to the task. But Moses protested to God, who am I? You know, it's interesting because uh, in our, our movie Spider Man, they just just talking about how uh, they were talking about self doubt at the at the end of the movie. Uh, his, his, I think it's his English teacher, English lit teacher, is talking to him. And says, "You know, uh, I was told at one point that there are three there are three plots in every fiction story. That every fiction story is born of one of three plots." He says, "But I've discovered that every fiction story just has one plot, and it's the question who." am I? Because the truth matters is you begin to discover who you are and, 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 and who God made you to be you begin to conquer your self-doubt but, but here's Moses saying to God who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt which is totally ironic because everybody knows you were raised in his household. You were there for 40 years in the palace. You know the Pharaoh.
0: Um, yeah, and when he left Egypt, Pharaoh wanted him dead because he had murdered an Egyptian. He he was on Egyptian's most wanted list.
6: Who am I, Lord? You know, like, like none of that ever happened, and he's just this complete failure. Who am I? And so God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you.
0: Uh, notice again. I will be with you. He wasn't going on his own steam. The Lord was going with him, which means nobody can oppose the Lord.
6: When he brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But watch, but Moses protested. Remember, self-doubt will cause you to derail off your course, and that's what Moses is trying to do. God has this awesome vision for him as a deliverer and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it he is trying to get off course but Moses protested if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors sent me to you they will ask what's his name in other words they're not going to believe anything I have to say what should I tell them then God smart guy and then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. He told him, I'll tell you exactly what to say. Now, fast forward to chapter 4, verse 1. So when you see, Moses really fought this. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. And he is still fighting this. What if they don't believe me or won't listen to me? He is totally doubting his ability here. What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? And the Lord asked him, I think this is really cool, what is that in your hand? Of course, Moses said, this is, it's my shepherd stick, it's my staff. It's what I use as a shepherd. And God said, okay, we're going to take what you have, let me show you what you do with it. He says, you throw it on the ground and it will become a snake. And then he, he, he had him work these miracles, listen, with something that he already had. God will use what you have. If you're a shepherd, he's going to use your staff. You know, if you're a mathematician, he'll use your calculator. If you're an artist, he'll use your paintbrush. If you're a writer, he'll use your pen. If you
0: sing, he'll use your microphone.
6: But God will use what you have. and
0: you. Um, the story isn't about me. At all. And this isn't a promise that God will use my microphone. Unbelievable. Narcissistic eisegesis now.
6: You might not think shepherding would have anything to do or anything to offer to be the deliverer of millions of people from the most powerful empire on the planet. But all God needed was Moses and his staff. We've got to learn to appreciate our gifts and our talents. Listen, you already possess all the gifts and the talents that you need. You already possess all the gifts and the talents that God needs in order for you to succeed in life. I'll tell you, this is the one point where I thought the movie was right on because as Peter Parker began to discover his gifts and his talents and what made him special... He began to gain some confidence about his ability and started to doubt himself just a little bit less. And as we begin to understand and, listen, appreciate what we're able to do, appreciate who we are, appreciate the skills that we have. Not, I wish I had that skill, but I got this. But appreciate what we can do and invest in it and find ways to use that For God, to use that for success. And listen, everybody has amazing gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, For God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Everyone. Will each of you raise your hand real quick? Can I get each of you to raise your hand? Okay, each of you. Okay, all right, all right. Now hold your hand up if you're each of you. God has given each of you who have your hand up a gift. God has given you a gift. God has gifted you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And he says, part two, use them. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? To speak uh, through as though God himself were speaking through you? Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. In other words, it doesn't matter what your gift is. Use it to the best of your ability. Maximize it. Train yourself in it. Find ways to use it to bring success, not just to your life, but into uh, God's plan for your life. You know, and if you have questions about, I mean, if you really think that you don't have any gift or skill at all, if you really think that, I think sometimes we try to tell ourselves that's what we think. You know, especially when we're really feeling sorry for ourselves, Uh, that's what we try to convince ourselves about. But if you really believe that that's the case, all you need to do is spend some time in prayer and ask God. And I promise you, I promise you, He'll begin to reveal to you your gifts and your talents. You have been gifted. You have been gifted. And it's time to stop looking down on that and diminishing it And they begin to appreciate it and use it. Number three. So, number one, acknowledge the self doubt and face it. Number two, appreciate your gifts and your talents. Number three, ask for support. Ask for support. Uh, Go down to, we're still in chapter four, but go down to verse 13. But Moses again pleaded. Look, he is still fighting it. You know what's something something that's great about the story? Moses is one of the greatest heroes in the entire Bible. He is one of the greatest heroes. He's one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Great, powerful man. Led millions of people. And here, this really great man is dealing with self-doubt. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who sits next to you, we all face bouts of self-doubt. And especially if we're following God's plan, because God will ask us to do things that we don't think we can do. That is just part of the life of every believer. And so we've got to learn how to fight that, how to deal with it. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 13, But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. And the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now, and he'll be delighted to see you. I think this is kind of funny because God's acting like, oh, look, here comes Aaron. But we find out later that God was the one that told Aaron to get there. Here's the deal. God knew Moses couldn't do this alone. And God was already sending him help. Don't try to face self-doubt. Don't try to conquer issues of self-doubt on your own. And especially if you feel like you're losing the battle. If you feel like you're kind of wallowing a little bit and you're not gaining any confidence, stop trying to fight the battle by yourself. Find someone and ask for some support. Your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, someone in this church, your pastor, someone uh, who's a mentor in your life.
0: This has, oh, the sermon is so frustrating because it misses the point of all of these texts. These texts were not written so that you could try to figure out some kind of life application to overcome self-doubt. That's not what these texts are about. This is about God's mighty hand of deliverance and how he saves people. Literally,
6: just ask them, am I good at anything? And see what they say. Let me tell you what the rule is, though. You can't argue when they answer. What am I good at? Oh, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. You're laughing because we all do this. Let someone encourage you. Let someone help you figure that out. And let someone walk through the process with you. Maybe you're taking on a project that just seems overwhelming. And talk to someone about it. Get together with someone for coffee once a week. You know, spill your heart out. Let them encourage you. Don't try to walk it alone. I just think it's awesome. God knew, God knew Moses wasn't going to be able to do this by himself. And so he had already sent Aaron. Aaron's our, before this conversation even happened, Aaron's on his way to see Moses. And then Moses just kind of falls right into the trap. And of course, Moses ain't saying, send someone else instead of me. What God says is, I'm going to send someone else with you. And you guys are going to do this together. God has put us together as a church family to lift each other up, to help each other. Galatians 6, you know, Bear each other's burdens. Bear each other's literally boulders and heavy weights that are too heavy for us to carry alone. Well, listen, if you're carrying one of those weights, ask someone to help you carry the weight. verse, four, verse fifteen Talk to him, Moses, and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Take your shepherd's staff. You got the skill, Moses. You got to take it. Take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs that I have shown you. Don't do it by yourself.
0: I'm sending some with you. You... Don't do. The Lord was with him. How, he couldn't, by definition, do it by himself? Look at the miracles that ended up happening, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. You think Moses could have done any of that? or Aaron and him combined?
6: Ugh. You guys are going to conquer this together. Ephesians 4:16 says this: He, speaking about Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, that's you and your gift.
0: The story of Moses in chapter 3 and 4 in Exodus is not about spiritual gifts. Oh, It
6: helps the other parts to grow, and that includes overcoming self-doubt. So that the whole body is healthy, healthy and growing. Let me read that out of the Weymouth Translation. It says, dependent on him, the whole body, its various parts, closely fitting and firmly adhering to one another. I like this part of it. Grows by the aid of every contributory link. In other words, every connection you have to someone else in the body gives support and aid and help and strength to you. Church, we've got to be connected one to another. Not just on Sunday morning. We've got to find time for each other and find time to support each other, find time to listen to each other, find time to encourage each other, find time to spend time with each other. Because every time we make another connection, it adds support and it adds strength to help us overcome. Grows by the aid of every contributory link with power proportioned to the need of every individual. That's what's cool about it. Listen, listen, God... Through somebody else that you're connected to will send you the power that you need to overcome what you're facing. Pastor Nate, I just get my power straight from God. Well, that's good, and that's where you should start. That's where you should go. You know what God's going to tell you sometimes? I got your power. Why don't you go have coffee with so-so? Talk to him.
0: I don't even know what you're talking about.
6: Why don't you start volunteering a little more in this area? Because he wants to get you in a place where someone can deliver the power that you need. We've got to ask for support. I'm going to close with this last one. Allow the opportunity for God's grace to work. We've got to allow the opportunity for God's grace to work. Still in Exodus chapter 4, just back up a couple verses to verse 9. And if they don't believe you or listen to you after these two signs, one sign was throw your rod and it turns into the snake. Another sign was um, uh, put your hand inside your shirt and pull it out and it will have leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out, it will be healed. All right, so, so Moses, you're going to do these pretty awesome miracles. And Moses is like, well, what if that doesn't work? I mean, really, Moses? So God says, well, if they don't believe either any of those two signs, then take some water from the Nile River, pour it out onto dry ground, and when you do, the water from the Nile will, will turn to blood on the ground. Verse 10, but Moses, I'm going to add my own words, still pleaded with the Lord. You think you've got self-doubt bad. Let me tell you something. You're able to overcome it. You're able to move on to great and exceptional things. Listen, everybody deals, everybody deals. Cue sappy music.
0: Oh, this is painful.
6: With self-doubt, even the greatest among us. And the difference between the ones who become great and the ones who don't, a lot of times, is the ones who are great learn to overcome that self-doubt,
0: while the other ones just kind of stay in their place. You want to be great, don't you? Just like Moses and Gideon, all you got to do is overcome self-doubt. See, the sappy music means that the Holy Spirit's now working, convicting people of their self-doubt. But Moses pleaded
6: with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. Not, he's lying, by the way. He's lying to God. I've never been. And, not, and, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. You know why we know that's not true? Acts 7, uh, verse 22 says this, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Moses is just lying, trying trying to get out of this. Verse 11, and then, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. Moses, you only speak by God's grace. I will be with you. Ugh! You can only do by God's grace. You have been gifted by God's grace. So just go and open your mouth and let my grace work in you. Philippians 1.6 says this, and I am convinced and sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. Right up until the time of His return, He will continue developing that good work and perfecting it and bringing it to full completion in you. Listen, God gifted you, God enabled you, and He is committed. He is committed to developing that gift and perfecting that gift and to completing that gift until the end of the age. There is no quit in in God. And His grace gave you that gift. And listen, His grace will take that gift to new heights. But what we've got to do is we've got to look self-doubt in the face and we've got to decide, you're not going to control me. You're not going to put limits on my life. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to do what I'm called to do because I am able to do it. And when I step out there and do it, God's grace is going to empower me and to enable me and I will overcome. see the enemy the enemy enemy doesn't want you to discover that he didn't want you to step out to that scary place where god's grace can take over and god can do wondrous things in your life and so doubt will come doubt will come
0: and what we've got to do is hold on long enough we've got to overcome Long enough to step out and to begin So notice this isn't doubt in the promises of God for the forgiveness of your sins, deliverance and peace with God. This is doubt that you're gonna do something great. See, God wants to do something great in you. He's gonna He's gonna use you to, you know, set millions of people free from slavery. But yeah, you know, you got self-doubt problems and you just need to find the solution, step up to the plate. Notice these texts about the mighty hand of deliverance by the Lord turn into something about you and these texts aren't about you these texts are about what god has done for you and what he did for the people of israel
6: Begin <sighs> to do and to let god's grace and ability take over will you close your eyes for a moment bow your heads
0: We're done. We're done. Ugh. So miserable. So that was the Sermon, The Amazing Spider Man Conquering Self Doubt. R- mar- narcissistically reading yourself into these texts, psychologizing them, making about something that they're, they're really not about at all. Those texts were not written so that you can overcome your self doubt because you doubting yourself is not your problem. Your problem is you don't trust Christ. It's your problem and mine. We are born dead in trespasses and sins, and those of us who've been brought to faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and repentance, that's all the working of God the Holy Spirit. And our sinful flesh bucks against that and fights against that. question is, what are we to trust Christ for? What is God's grace about? Is God's grace about helping you overcome self-doubt, or is God's grace about causing you to truly and ultimately doubt yourself And know that you have nothing to offer him, that you're spiritually bankrupt, and to put your faith and trust in him for everything. That's the difference. What he preached was you. What those texts preach is the Lord. It's like missing the forest because of a tree. Oh, wow, what a great tree this is. That's the most amazing tree I've ever seen in my life. Why don't you take a step back and look at the forest? <sighs> Unbelievable. Absolutely. It's just so frustrating that this is what passes for Christian preaching. It's not. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing biblical about it. You hijack a biblical text about God and make it about you. That's not biblical preaching. That's satanic.
4: Ugh.
0: Anyway, what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at piratechristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins.
4: Amen.